Well, we're going to continue our series uh, that we've been in for, this is our third month going into this series on the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts. We've got three more weeks to go. Today I'm going to talk about um, the gifts of knowledge, wisdom, and discernment. Next week, we're going to talk about the gifts of faith, healing, and miracles, and then we're going to conclude with apostleship, evangelism, teaching, and pastoring. But we've been in this series because I believe it's very important that we as a church are on the same page when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, that we understand what the gifts of the Spirit look like, how they function, how we can recognize them in people so that we can honor them when we see those gifts. And unless the entire body is operating in all the gifts of the Spirit, then there is something lacking. That you have something you contribute to the body of Christ that only you can bring. Only you have the personality, have the gifts, have the situation, have the sphere of influence that you have. And you bring that into the body of Christ and make the church more full. And so it's important that we discuss the, the gifts of the Spirit and we understand what they look like. I've been talking about this throughout this series that uh, some of the gifts, you read them, we read about the gift of mercy, the gift of encouragement, the gift of giving, the gift of faith, the gift of, of prophecy, and, and, and all, all believers, all followers of Jesus should, should have faith in him, correct? All believers should show mercy. All believers are called to give. All believers should encourage. See, every single one of these gifts, we are all called to operate in at some level in our lives. And what we've been talking about through this series is this, is that whatever is not a spiritual gift becomes a spiritual discipline. That not everybody has a gift of mercy. Not everybody has a gift of encouragement. So for you, if that is not your gift, it becomes a discipline that you work into your life. But for others, some of us operate in these gifts with an ease. And God has given a grace on some of us to be able to operate in these gifts. So today we're going to talk about the gifts of knowledge and wisdom and discernment. And I want to remind you that all of God's people have access to these things because the Spirit of God resides in each person. But like I said, God has given a special grace to some of us for these gifts, the gifts of knowledge, wisdom, and discernment. Speaking of knowledge and wisdom, uh, do you know why men like smart women? Because opposites attract. That was, was, amen, amen. Oh, that was a joke, guys. Come on. You come, come, come to men's retreat if you need healing for that joke. So these three gifts, knowledge, wisdom, and discernment, they're closely related to each other because they're all rooted in an understanding of Scripture. We have to lay that foundation first. But there's differences between these gifts, and we're going to talk about each one in turn. These gifts are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 11. We're going to read it together. If you don't have your Bibles, it's going to be on the screen. 1 Corinthians 12, it says this, verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kind of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So the gifts of knowledge, wisdom, and, and discernment are mentioned nowhere else in Scripture. These gifts are mentioned nowhere else in Scripture. The only information that we have regarding these gifts are found in these verses that we just read. We have the Greek words that Paul uses for these gifts, and we have the context that he uses them in. But that's all. That's all we have. And so the next best thing for us to do is to look throughout Scripture for other mentions of wisdom and knowledge and discernment. And thankfully, the Bible... Uh, is full of passages that refer to these words. We're, we're going to examine some of these passages in the book of Proverbs, which is considered the wisdom literature of the Bible. And the man who wrote these Proverbs, Solomon, who was considered, or he was 
described in the Bible as the wisest man on the earth. And we're going to also look at the book of James, which is considered the wisdom book of the New Testament. And in Proverbs 8, turn with me if, if you will. We're going, to be, we're going to be in Proverbs and James mainly today. Proverbs chapter 8, we have this beautiful poetic piece that portrays wisdom itself speaking to the reader. So wisdom in Proverbs 8 is speaking in the first person. And this is what wisdom says. Proverbs 8, we're going to start at verse 10. Wisdom says, choose my instruction rather than silver and knowledge rather than pure gold. For wisdom is far more valuable than rubies. Listen to this. Nothing that you desire. Come on, some of us have great desires, right? Nothing that you desire can compare with it. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. So here we see all three of these words, knowledge, wisdom, and discernment, linked closely together. And this verse reveals how precious wisdom is meant to be for God's people. It says that nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. And I, I love that wisdom is speaking from the first person because, because it causes us to ask the question, who is speaking? Who is this wisdom that is speaking in Proverbs 8? And verse 30 gives us the answer to this. If you look down at verse 30 and 31, it says, I, wisdom, was the architect at his side, at God's side. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence. And how happy I was with the world he created, how I rejoiced with the human family. See, we see that wisdom is God himself. More specifically, wisdom is the Holy Spirit. The presence of Jesus is wisdom. What a unique perspective that this provides when we read the account of the creation of the world in Genesis 1. It says that wisdom was God's constant delight. And that wisdom was rejoicing always in God's presence. See, to God, wisdom is not only precious and valuable more than anything that you can desire, but it is also what brings God joy and refreshing. It's what brings God delight. God delights in wisdom. He, he's full of joy when his people operate in wisdom. When they make wise decisions, God rejoices in wisdom, and he considers it valuable, far more valuable than rubies and gold and silver. So the question that I want to answer first this morning is, why is wisdom so precious to God? Why should we trust God's wisdom over our own? And how can we trust that God truly knows what is best for our lives more than we do? We live in a world that says nobody knows you like you do. You know what you want. You know what's best for you. So do what you feel is best for you. You do you. I'll do me. Just do what you feel is best for you. But the Bible says that we're supposed to trust the wisdom of God. How can we know that God knows what's best for our lives better than we know what's best for our lives? I'm going to make two statements that kind of set up uh, the idea behind this. or It sets up these three spiritual gifts that we're going to talk about. The first statement that we know we can trust God is number one, God is for God. God is for God. What do I mean by that? It means that it's not about you. This is hard to understand because we want it to be about us. When I come home from the office, let me give you an example. I come home from the office and I'm tired and I see that Christina needs help picking up the house. I have to combat the natural tendency to just take care of me, to make it all about me. Or when I'm on the road and someone else, for goodness sakes, is driving the speed limit. They're not going five miles faster, but they're driving exactly 50 miles an hour. In my head, I'm thinking, what is this person doing? Don't they know that they're wasting my precious time? I need to speed past these guys because it's all about me. 
It's all about the time that they are wasting. My time that they are wasting. It's all about me. We think highly of ourselves. And Western culture does nothing but reinforce this idea. Every commercial I see is about me and my happiness. What I can get for myself. How the world can make me happier. But the Bible paints a very different picture. And we can still read the Bible and think that it's all about me. Surely God wants me to be happy. Because making me happy is going to make God look good. But scripture proves that God is for God first and foremost. Let me, um, this is all going to make sense in a moment here. God is for you. Let me, let me just say this, okay? God is on your side. He wants the best for your life. But God is first and foremost for God. And this is for your benefit. Let me explain it like this. Psalms 23. We, this is one of those verses that we think this is all about me. But listen what it says. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh, I can already feel the warm fuzzies coming over me as we read this, this part of scripture. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. See, God is about me. He's doing all this stuff for me. But then the text goes on. It says, he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. For his namesake. C.S. Lewis, he wrote that he was a very reluctant convert because when he read the Psalms, it sounded like God was begging for compliments. It sounded like God was saying, worship me, delight in me, praise me. But later, C.S. Lewis would go on to write this. He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. So the delight that you feel, the joy that you experience, the blessings of God that you experience, they aren't made complete until they are expressed in gratitude for God. So what God is saying, he's not saying worship me, delight in me for, 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 for the sake of he's this egotistical tyrant up in the sky. He's saying when you rejoice in me and when you find your value, your worth, your purpose in me, what you're really doing is you're benefiting yourself. What's the point of this? He's not begging for compliments. He's trying to give us the one thing we need to have a life of freedom and joy, and that is to be all about him, to be all about God. Let me give you another example. If I come home from the office and everything is all about me, I won't be free to love and enjoy my family because I'm more concerned about my expectations being met. It's all about me. But... If I am all about God and pleasing and serving him, I will be a better husband to my wife, a better father to my kids. Serving the Lord means that you are becoming an expert in all things good. And if God is for God, that sets me free to not be the point all the time. And it means that all the commands of God that are given by his wisdom can be trusted because he has established them ultimately for my benefit. God says when you take your eyes off of yourself and what you think you need and you take your eyes off the wisdom that you think you have and you put your eyes on the wisdom that I have and you make your life about me, it actually frees you to live the full life that he wants you to live. But we can't see that when we're operating by our wisdom. And the world would tell us that our wisdom is still better. And we're blinded by our wisdom, which is why God delights in wisdom. He rejoices in it. It's valuable. Far more valuable than anything you desire. God says trust in me. Trust in my plans for your life. And you will have the fullest life you never thought you could ever have. God is for God. Which leads me to the second statement. God designed the earth to operate for his glory. And for our good. God designed the earth to operate for his glory and our good. If you want to know all about wisdom. You read the Proverbs. And by the way, there's 31 Proverbs, 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. And if you're struggling to find something to read at any given day of the month, if it's the 6th of November, go read Proverbs 6. 
There's 31 chapters, 31 days in a month. It's a great devotional plan. Proverbs 1, 7 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Everyone has their own definition of wisdom. Philosophers, educators, even Hollywood have their own wisdoms that they want to give to us. But here's the Bible's definition of wisdom. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. The beginning of all wisdom and understanding is this. That God has designed the world and he knows the best way to live life. So we should trust in him. Proverbs 9.10. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Where do we get knowledge of the Holy One? We can only know the Holy One to the extent that He reveals Himself to us. He is the infinite Creator. He is above, uh, he is above earth. He is above all things. There is no way that we can understand God unless He chooses to reveal Himself to our finite minds, to, unless he chooses to reveal himself to us. And the primary way that God has decided to reveal himself is through Scripture, through the Bible, through the Word of God that he has given us. The fear of the Lord comes from being aware of God's greatness and our complete lack of greatness apart from him that is revealed in the Bible. Scripture is the primary way. Now, the Holy Spirit still speaks new and fresh revelations. He still imparts prophecy to people. He still speaks new words to people. But the primary way that God reveals to us, the primary way that we gain understanding of God is through his scripture. Scripture brings fear of the Lord. It brings wisdom. So with those two statements in mind, let's talk about the gifts of knowledge, gift of wisdom, and the gift of discerning of spirits. Number one. The, uh, the gift of knowledge, uh, the spiritual gift of knowledge is also known as word of knowledge or utterance of knowledge. And the Greek word for this gift is gnosis. It simply means knowledge and understanding. And the scriptural emphasis in 1 Corinthians twelve eight is on the ability to speak this knowledge to others in a given situation. And the opening passages of 1 Corinthians, Paul spoke of knowledge and he recognized that the highest form of knowledge among men is the gospel of Jesus. Paul says this himself at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. The highest form of knowledge that we could ever attain to or we could ever understand, it's the gospel of Jesus. It is the message, message of Jesus. It is the highest form of knowledge. So we can conclude that uh, the gift of knowledge is an understanding of things in this world and in our lives that is founded in the gospel and rooted in scripture. Many people have heard the gift of knowledge described as um, something that the Holy Spirit gives you about a specific person. For instance, uh, maybe before the person says a word, uh, you, you understand that they have pain in their shoulder. Or maybe they are struggling with an addiction. And so God gives you an, some information about someone that you didn't previously know before, that suddenly know. But but a couple weeks ago, in our uh, in our talk about prophecy, we defined that that is really what prophecy is. Prophecy is when God gives you an inspired message that spontaneously comes to mind, and you give it to someone else. You you share it with someone else. So, uh, like I said. This this gift, the gift of knowledge, it's only mentioned one time in Scripture. So the best way to figure out what is Paul referring to, what is he talking about when he when he mentions the gift of knowledge? Some churches and some some Christians would describe word of knowledge as knowing something about someone that they didn't previously know before. But but I personally believe that that is actually the definition of prophecy. And when the Bible speaks about knowledge. It speaks about a deep understanding of Scripture, being deeply rooted in the Word of God and being able to share that with other people. So the Holy Spirit gives this spiritual gift to some believers, 
to bring about understanding and to inform the church or individual believers. And the person with this gift is usually well-versed in scriptures. They often have much of it committed to memory. They can retain the truth and communicate it effectively at the appropriate times. The gift of knowledge allows a believer to uh, um, relate the scriptures and particularly the gospel of Jesus to all aspects of life in this world. And they can see how it connects to every situation and circumstance and how the reality and truth of the gospel is to inform every decision a Christian makes. So the one with the gift of knowledge is rooted in scripture and they're able to share and to inform the church or believers about the truth of what God says. This gift is closely related to the gift of wisdom, which is alluded to by Paul in 1 Corinthians 1. It says this, verse 26, Paul says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you were in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. Jesus has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. A few months ago, I was meeting with a Christian counselor. And by the way, I recommend that everybody see a counselor. It's immensely helpful. I was meeting with a Christian counselor and I was telling him about my frustrations with some people in my life. And I, I couldn't see how I was thinking of myself as better than others. I was blinded by the fact that I was thinking of myself more highly than other people. And I was irritated at the sin in others' lives, but I wouldn't stop to consider my own sin. And, and my counselor stopped me in the middle of my sentence and he said, It sounds like you think that you're better than others, Blake. Like their sin is greater than yours. But what does the Bible say about your righteousness, Blake? And then he proceeded to quote Romans 3 that says, Apart from Jesus, no one is righteous. Not even one. Everyone deserves punishment for their sin. See, my counselor in that moment was using a spiritual gift of knowledge and reminded me that I am not better than anyone else. I was boasting in myself. And in my deeds. And my counsel reminded me. No, no, you can't boast in yourself. And this truth. It freed me. It allowed me to think differently. About people that I was angry at. He was operating. in the spiritual gift of knowledge in that moment. And there are many people in this room. Who are very good at this. Who know scripture. It's deeply embedded in your heart. And you have these opportune times. The Holy Spirit gives you these moments. Where you're able to share. The truth of scripture to people. And remind them about what God says in a moment. That is the gift of knowledge. Let's move on to the gift of wisdom. This gift in action. Uh, this gift is in action when God gives a situational word or a message. Acutely applicable. And a moment that provides insight for people into the next steps of their spiritual journey. So these, uh, this gift operates in a very practical way. They're practical instructions like go to this place or read this book or stop seeing this person or, or do this. And they help people in their spiritual journey. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Did you know that we can read the Bible every day and inquire lots of knowledge about God? We can know the history of Israel. We can know all about Jesus. But wisdom in turn acts properly upon that knowledge. See, knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments, but wisdom obeys the Ten Commandments. Knowledge learns of Jesus, but wisdom loves Jesus. It is the fitting application of knowledge. And the spiritual gift of wisdom, like the gift of knowledge, is referred to as word of wisdom or utterance of wisdom. And the Greek word for wisdom is sophia. It refers to the intimate understanding of God's word and his commandments, 
which results in holy and upright living. In the context of 1 Corinthians 12, 8, it means to speak to the life of an individual or to a specific situation with great understanding and righteous perspective with the goal of guiding others toward a life of holiness and worship. So this, this gift is about helping people move forward in their spiritual journey, helping people move forward closer and closer into the image of Jesus and, and revealing to them the ways they should go and what they should do rooted in Scripture. The Holy Spirit gives some uh, gives some the spiritual gift of wisdom, not only to impart truth and understanding to believers, but to invoke a response of holiness and worship lived out in the world amongst God's people. It is an action gift. It is to invoke, just much like the gift of exhortation is to is to help people move forward, is to get people started in something. Wisdom gives people practical steps that's rooted in the word of God. And wisdom doesn't end with knowledge, but it's expressed in transformed hearts and lives. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. I'm going to read real quick the story of Solomon and how Solomon asked for wisdom. Solomon was David's son, king of Israel, who was considered the wisest man to have ever lived. But we know that the wisdom that Solomon had did not come from him. He was not born with supernatural wisdom. It came from God. We can read this story and understand that the Holy Spirit rested upon Solomon and allowed him to operate in this spiritual gift before the Holy Spirit even resided inside of God's people. But the Holy Spirit rested upon Solomon and gave him a supernatural gift of wisdom to lead and to guide Israel. First Kings chapter three, verses five through 14. It says at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want me to give to you. Come on. Wouldn't that be the magic genie story. Anything you want, poof, I'll give it to you. And Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne, even to this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I am only a little child and I don't know how to carry out my duties. <clears throat> your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. And the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. Do you remember what we read earlier in, in Proverbs about God, how God delights? He, he rejoices in wisdom. He considers it far more. Imagine God's delight in Solomon when Solomon could have asked for anything, but he asks for wisdom. God rejoiced in this moment. So this is what the Lord did. So God said to him, verse 11, since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice. I will give you what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commandments as David your father did, I will give you a long life. And Solomon awoke and he realized it had been a dream. As a result of God's wisdom leading Solomon, the nation of Israel was blessed and experienced many years of peace. Those with the gift of wisdom have a deep understanding of the holiness of God and the lack of holiness 
in their own hearts. They can recognize this in others as well as have compassion and boldness to share the truth with them. They're able to take from their own life experiences and share what God has taught them through those things. And they can easily recognize where a decision or action may lead and can warn against those that may be harmful or unfruitful. They often see through the confusion of a situation and can give direction that would help an individual or a group obtain a God-glorifying goal. The church needs those with the spiritual gift of wisdom to guide her through uncertain and difficult times. Now, I believe that the gift of wisdom, we see this in Scripture too, the gift of wisdom... I believe, can be seen widely among older generations in the church. Godly grandfathers grandfathers, and godly grandmothers who have faithfully served God for years have a wisdom that comes from experience that I believe is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Job 12.12, it says this. It says, is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? I believe that the Lord takes the lives and the experiences of faithful servants, grandfathers and grandmothers, people who have, who have seen some things. And he empowers their decision making. He empowers their experiences to impart wisdom to the rest of the church. Not to say that a younger person can operate in the gift of wisdom. I'm sure they can. I'm sure they do. But I think this gift is very widely spread among older generations in the church. Unfortunately, many people in the West have lost the love for wisdom. And they've disregarded the older generations who have so much to offer. The church was always meant to be multi-generational And the Joshua's of today, the ones who are leading the charge, who are spearheading things, they still need Moses in their life. They still need the voice of counsel, the voice of wisdom, guiding them, helping them make decisions in their life. And lastly, we're going to talk about the gift of discernment. The spiritual gift of discernment, it's also known as the gift of discerning of spirits or distinguishing between spirits. And the Greek word for the gift of discernment is diachrisis. And the word describes being able to distinguish or discern or judge or appraise a person or a statement or a situation or an environment. It is all about understanding the source of something. Understanding, is this from God? Is this from his spirit? Is this from the world? Is this from the flesh? Or is this from the devil? Is this demonic? It is a gift of distinguishing what the source is. And the gift of discerning spirits is the special ability God gives to some members of the body of Christ, which enables them to know with assurance whether certain behavior is of God, is really divine, or is human, or even demonic. And you will, maybe some of the people with this gift, uh, they might get a glimpse of behind-the-scenes supernatural reality in a situation. It's either a mental picture, or uh, I've, I've heard stories of people described being able to physically see symptoms uh, that lead you to know that something is wrong. Or maybe you sense demonic activity in people, or in areas, or places, or situations. You know when something that looks godly is actually all about human pride or selfish ambition or is demonic and so people with the gift of discerning of spirits can tell um, what is of god and what is not of god the holy spirit gives the gift of discernment to enable certain christians to clearly recognize and distinguish between the influence of god satan the world and the flesh in a given situation and the church desperately needs this gift in these times the bible warns us about the last days how many will be led astray by false teachers and by uh, by false prophets and by people who claim to have wisdom who claim to be wise but they lead people astray and the church desperately needs people with this gift but again this gift comes from spending time in scripture and in the presence of god One can only know 
what is and isn't from the Holy Spirit unless they spend time getting familiar with God's presence. Did you know that when people are looking for counterfeit money, they don't study counterfeit money to be able to identify what the counterfeit looks like. They study the real thing. They spend time looking at the real thing, what a real $100 bill is supposed to look like so that when they spot the counterfeit, they know immediately that is not real. I've spent so much time looking at the real thing, I know that that's not real. And in the same way, the gift of discerning of the spirits is accomplished when you spend time in the presence of God with the Holy Spirit, reading his word so that when an evil or human thought or human wisdom or some side of some kind of demonic activity arises you are able to immediately discern that is not of god i've spent time in the presence of god i know what it feels like i know what it looks like i know what the bible says that is not of god without the gift of discernment the church can be led astray by the wisdom of the world the wisdom of the world james the book of James. Turn with me to James chapter 3. This is where we're going we're to close our time in James chapter 3 together. James warns us that there is a worldly form of wisdom and that we need to be able to know the difference between the two. James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18. It'll be on the screen as well. It says, if you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying for jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. I think it's really interesting that James talks about jealousy and selfishness as a form of wisdom. It's the wrong kind of wisdom, but he talks about it as a form of wisdom. He says, such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at times, willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. It's always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Worldly wisdom. We're going to close with these these points. I've got three three points about worldly wisdom and three points about godly wisdom. Worldly wisdom, number one, comes from hell. Did you catch what James said? He said that there is a kind of wisdom that is demonic. There is a kind of wisdom that is from hell, that is not of God. And the danger is that we can think we are wise and other people can tell us we are wise. When in reality, our thinking might be from the pits of hell. Proverbs twelve fifteen says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a man, a wise man, listens to advice. There is a form of thinking that we can think, I'm a wise person. I'm doing good. But in reality, it might be a worldly form of wisdom. Worldly wisdom, number two, is motivated by self-centered ambition. The wisdom of the world measures everything by how it affects you. What is best for me? How can I best advance myself, promote myself, exalt myself? And isn't this the core of the American dream? It is the core of the American narrative. Promote yourself. Advance yourself. Put yourself forward. But the gospel says, deny yourself. It says, unless you first die, you cannot truly live. You have to pick up the cross and carry your cross in order to live. The Bible is all about denying yourself. Humble yourself is what the word says. And the Lord is the one who will exalt you. This is the core conflict in marriages, in friendships, and even in churches. Everybody's asking, what is best for me? 
How do I benefit from this situation? Marriages struggle the most when neither person is willing to sacrifice for the other. They're both looking out for themselves and expecting the other to serve them, to yield to them. And they're not willing to yield themselves and humble themselves. People leave churches all the time because they don't feel like they're being recognized because it's all about them. God's people are constantly being divided over things like who gets the solo in this year's Christmas special. It's all about them. And James mentions being bitterly jealous or envious, constantly looking at how you compare to others around you. And this is something that I've always wrestled with, church. I've always wrestled with comparison, with being jealous of other people. Every one of my roommates growing up were talented musicians, drummers and bass players and guitar players. They all could sing like angels, and we all lived together. And I always was comparing myself and feeling insignificant and, and trying, to, trying to measure up to what I felt like they had. And we can look on Instagram, and, and everyone looks so happy and successful. And I can sometimes think, I wish I could travel there. We just spent three weeks in Greece. You know, I wish my wife would say those things about me. She does. She says nice things about me. But people, they post these anniversary posts of my husband. I've been married for him for 10 years, and he's just the most wonderful father. And the most wonderful. It's like, oh, I wish my spouse would say those things about me. I wish I had that life. I wish I could do those things. I wish I had those biceps. I wish... That that was my life. Oscar Wilde, he wrote, be yourself. Everyone else is already taken. (laughs) God wants us to be content with our lives and not to compare ourselves with other people. It is a wisdom that is motivated by self-centered ambition. And it's not of God. It's worldly. Lastly, about worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom results in disorder and evil is what James says. Self-centered ambition results in marriages that are marked by disorder and evil. Self-centered ambition results in churches that are marked by disorder and evil. And he says that this kind of wisdom produces anger, bitterness, resentment, strife, divorce, conflict, and comes from a worldly wisdom. But then James says, there's another way. There's a better way. There's a better form of wisdom, and it's godly wisdom. And number one, godly wisdom comes from heaven godly wisdom comes from him if we return to james 1 we read in verse 5 if any of you lacks wisdom you should ask god who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you much like paul says in corinthians that we should all eagerly desire gifts of the spirit that we have permission to ask For gifts of the Spirit, in the same way when it comes to the gifts of knowledge and wisdom and discernment, when it comes to wisdom, James says we're supposed to ask God for it. Ask God for wisdom, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. There is a wisdom that cannot be found in intellectual knowledge and in practical experience. There there is a wisdom... That can only be found from being on your face before God, calling out to him for wisdom. And it's a totally different way to think. It cannot be manufactured by man. There is a wisdom that comes from honoring and recognizing the gift of wisdom that God has placed on certain people in the church. And we listen to their words and we honor them and realize that God is using them to speak to me. Proverbs 2, 1 through 6. It says, my son, if you will receive my word and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth. Come knowledge and understanding. Just like Solomon asked for wisdom. Have you ever felt 
un, unprepared for a season of life that you've been in. I felt this way when I entered ministry. I felt this way when I got married. I still feel this way as a pastor. Unprepared. Unfit. Unequipped. I feel this way as a dad. I need help. I don't know what I'm doing. It's trial and error, church. I didn't receive a manual when I walked out of the hospital. I'm trying my best to figure this out, but I need help. I need wisdom. I need God's wisdom to know what is good and evil, to know what is right and wrong, to know how to do this to the best of my ability. It's a wisdom that comes from heaven. Godly wisdom is motivated by God-centered humility. It's motivated by God-centered humility. And this is a picture when a husband and wife, when friends, or when the church, when we come before God and we say, we need what only you can give, God. We need what only you can give. It's not motivated by self-centered ambition anymore. It's now motivated by God-centered humility. Wisdom from God produces humility in a person. Wisdom from the world produces pride in a person. So humble yourselves before God. Husbands, wives, moms, dads, singles, grandmas, grandpas, students, all across this room. Admit to God. Confess to God that you cannot do this. Whatever it is in your life, you can't do it on your own. You need what only he can give. It's a God-centered humility. I'm going to ask my wife to come up and play the piano as we talk about this last point. Godly wisdom also results in peace and righteousness. Godly wisdom results in peace and righteousness. I don't know if you've caught this, but when I was reading through James, it reminded me of another portion of scripture that I had read before. But when you read the list that James gives in verses 17 and 18, it's almost exactly the same as the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Get this in James James 3. James says, wisdom is from heaven and is first of all pure. Then in Matthew 5, it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. James says that wisdom is then peace-loving. Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Wisdom is considerate and gentle in James. And in Matthew, it says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. In James, it says, wisdom is submissive. Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. James 3, wisdom is full of mercy. Matthew 5, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. James 3, Wisdom produces good fruit, is impartial and sincere. And Matthew 5 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, the picture here is that godly wisdom is all-encompassing. It is a wisdom that, in, that affects your entire life. And it comes with countless blessings from God. This is why God considers it so valuable, so priceless, that when you listen to the wisdom of God, when you heed his instruction, when you listen to the words of God, you are blessed beyond measure. And we don't even see that. We can't even understand the blessings that come from listening to God's voice, from understanding his wisdom that comes from Scripture, from being doers of the word. You remember, knowledge Knowledge is knowing. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. Not just becoming hearers of the word, not just getting knowledge, but becoming doers of the word. By becoming wise and actually living out what scripture tells us to live out. I want to remind everyone in this room that as children of God, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we are all called to seek knowledge and wisdom and discernment of spirits. And the foundation comes from reading the word of God and being in his presence. This is why it's so important. Why we talk about reading our Bible so much. Why we talk about devotional time, prayer time, spending time in his presence. It all stems from this relationship with God. And we have to also recognize that there are some in this room that have an extra grace for these gifts. And we must honor them and listen to their counsel when they speak. 
as we close, I wanted to, to do something a little different. I want to do something a little different. I want to honor some people in this room, and I hope you don't take offense at this, okay? But what I want to do is I want everybody under the age of 60 to stand up. 60. If you're under the age of 60, would you stand up? Under the age of 60. Now, I'm sorry if you take offense at this. But you know what? I want to honor you. Those who are sitting down, you have been faithful in following the Lord for years. And the Lord, the Spirit of God, I believe, has imparted a wisdom to you that we need to honor in this moment. And so what I would ask, would you who are sitting down, stretch your hands out to those who are standing or maybe touch them on the shoulder if you can. And would you just begin to pray a prayer of blessing over their lives. Pray that the Lord would ignite in them a new passion for the word of God. That they would ignite, that the spirit of God would ignite in all of us who are standing a a love for being in his presence. A new dedication to prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Kurt, would you mind coming up here and just praying for those who are standing? Father, you see everyone that's standing here today. And everyone is in a varying degree of of dedication and giving their lives wholly to you. And Father, I just ask that this moment be impactful to each one. That they realize that you are the source of all things. You are the one that can lead us to the place that we need to be in you. And Lord, help them understand that being fully um, engaged with you and walking hand in hand with you is the most pleasurable and honorable thing that there is, Lord. And through it, many hundreds and thousands of lives are touched because of your presence and people that walk with you. So I ask that you embed in each one standing here today a heart and a hunger for you, a hunger that is insatiable, that cannot be satisfied ever because there is so much more of you than any of us has ever obtained. And we just ask you to fill us to the fullest, Lord God, of what you have for us. Lead us, guide us, let us see things into the future, uh, decisions to make, changes to make, and help us in all of this honor you completely. We give you all praise and glory in Jesus' name.